What is up, everybody? This is Nick Ashton, the host of Four Mandalore Podcast, along with my co-host, T-Bob Bear. I'm so happy to be back here uh, talking the new episode of The Mandalorian. We're a few days late because we've been in the ATL That's right. celebrating. Why were we in Atlanta, Nick? We were celebrating the LSU Tigers SEC Championship win, the first mm. since 2011 when you were playing on the field. Mm-mm-mm. I was in the seats watching you kick some bulldog butt and a very fond memory of mine. Uh, and finally... We were back and we were ready. Well, and but this time our roles were reversed because you were on the field and I was in the seats <laughs> that's, that's watching right. the bulldog butt get kicked. That's uh, right. Nick is a part of the drum line for the LSU Golden Band from Tigerland. So uh, yeah, so we both went to Atlanta this weekend. It was awesome. LSU's thirteen and zero SEC champs. Life is good. It, it really is, man. I, I'm so glad to be back in this era of LSU football and also this area of Star Wars content. Yep. And, you know, we're, we're back again with this episode. I'm very glad that I watched it twice because I was going to give some pretty harsh initial reaction. As you know, For Mandalore Podcast is an instant reaction show, but having this opportunity to really come back here, take a second look at some of the characters, I feel like I have a different perspective on how this episode kind of came out, how it affected me. What do you think about seeing it the second time? Uh, I'm I'm kind of with you in that I bounced off it pretty hard after my initial viewing. I did too. Uh, this is this is the first time where I haven't kind of just felt like super excited or like just like wow, like I can't wait to talk about that or like well, that was just just, just so much just so much to break down. This is the first time where I just left without any of those emotions really and. Although the second time it definitely got better or there were there were parts that I enjoyed more. Um, I think it still is easily the weakest of uh, the five episodes that we've I, seen so far. I definitely did not change my opinion in that regard. Yeah, yeah I, I, I definitely didn't think, oh, wow, I mean, this is this is better than episode three after, you know, viewing it the second time. But it's, I think- it's, it's, it is weird, though, right? Because like one of the things is like, I guess one of my problems that I found myself having with it is that like nothing really happens but at the same time i like that like that's why i liked the whole uh last episode with gina carano was it the last episode right where they fought yes, the atst yeah. um and, you know it really i guess nothing happened in that episode either like i like the fact that it's a tv show it can have these side adventures and and i loved uh the the battle with the mudhorn and and then the whole Jawa sequence earlier, which, you know, didn't push that main storyline along either. So I guess it's a situation where I don't have a problem, I, even though I guess is what I initially thought. I don't have a problem with nothing happening. Or, and I mean, in terms of main storyline, it's just that I didn't enjoy the execution as much as I've enjoyed those other kind of side story type of episodes. No, my, my, the problems I took with this episode were more in the, the writing I think in the characters, um, I definitely, you know, the plot is not something that I think really struck me as being anything bad inherently. Um, I think where I, where I take issue is kind of the writing of Toro. Um, some of those, those more like minute details, you know, the overarching idea of the episode, yes, when you look back on it, is not something that's like, okay, this didn't even need to be made. Why do we do this? Because there is kind of a springboard moment. At the end of the episode, where we're yeah, like, no okay, doubt. S- someone could be introduced, something could be happening, um, but... At the end of the day, I think there's just some small things that hold this episode from being like really one of those 
like enlightening pieces of Star Wars content that we've been getting over the past couple of weeks. And if, if you hear anything that sounds like a dog or if the sound sounds a little funny today, uh, we are recording from my home as opposed to in studio, and the dog is all over uh, Nick right now. He's, he's, he's very excited. I love dogs. All right, so let's... Um, Let's let's I guess let's just start at the beginning where the episode starts. Uh, I believe this is our first Mandalorian dogfight that we've yes, seen, right? Very, very first we've seen. Um, I think as an as an intro to the episode, you kind of get uh, kind of like slapped in the face in this. You're like, okay, well, we got some real danger coming. Yeah. Because as as a preview, we've had we've had episodes in this series that have started off without dialogue for like ten minutes almost. Yeah, the second you know, episode in we, particular, I think, went about twelve or whatever it was. Right. So I think right off the bat, um, you get an idea that this is going to be very different than what we've been used to. I, I think you see in all the other episodes is kind of a pattern of kind of a build up to action. We've kind of got action from the beginning, then a little lull. Yeah. Um, so it's something a little bit different in terms of the pacing that we've seen uh, so far. And then I think that theme kind of carries over into everything else we see in the episode. I thought everything in this episode that wasn't the Mandalorian didn't really feel like the Mandalorian. Yeah, it. Um, I as far as the opening dogfight goes, I liked. Um, I liked how it was shot. I liked. I liked whoever was attacking him. I mean, this sounds very kind of. There's not a lot of substance in this uh, analysis, but it is kind of also the original thing that like attracts you to a lot of star wars characters off the bat i thought that the the bounty hunter that was hunting him looked cool like i thought like his shift looked cool like his his uniform looked cool and like yeah sure like i would i'd I'd, like read a comic book about whoever the hell he was right uh before mando blew him up um (laughs) and then and then you know mandalorian showing that he's more than just a very skilled fighter he's also a good a good pilot and it's funny because his ship doesn't seem particularly uh dynamic it right? looks it looks, it looks very a bit like not a bit combat heavy. ready yeah yes. yeah it feels it all feels a bit heavy but he does that classic hit the brakes get behind him mm-hmm. wham bam it's over but but this is all kind of to set him up as the ship gets damaged really badly mm-hmm. which means he needs to repairs and uh lo and behold a very familiar planet is right there in the distance and the mandalorian ends up on Tatooine in Mos Eisley at the Mos Eisley spaceport. Uh, and then we see the cantina, all this stuff. So I don't know. What did, what, what, what did you think about uh, the Mandalorian returning to Tatooine? I thought it was kind of a uh, star Wars, I guess, returning to Tatooine. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, it wouldn't be the move for me personally. I just think we've seen so much of it. I don't know what else in terms of a setting, atmosphere you could have created like if we would have went to the dunes of calamari and seen what that would have been like like you know another avenue you could have gone down like i don't know why this i think you pointed out this theme when we when we got here you pointed out a lot of fan servicey aspects it was very fan servicey and i don't hate that because i think some parts are cool and even the parts that i kind of dislike there's still a a part of me that is just a fanboy and kind of likes it but I think a lot of times fan service is about how it's executed, and it almost felt a bit forced. Like you're at the Mos Eisley, can you're at the Mos Eisley spaceport. Um, the mechanic whose name I'm blanking on, Amy Sedaris, who I actually like, but but she she's talking about uh, carbon scoring, mm-hmm. and then when she's gambling with her droid, she bets a motivator. Uh, you go to the cantina and see the young bounty hunter in the exact same seat. 
that uh, that that Han was in back in the day, and it was kind of cool seeing the canteen again. It's now run by droids, where it used to be a no droids <laughs> establishment in the back. Like right. I like that little detail, but for the most part, um, Star Wars, and it's interesting to me that they went this route because they've already been accused of at times for for a story that takes place in such a large universe. Sometimes their scope can be a little narrow. Yeah. And the Mandalorian's kind of been the opposite of that thus far in a it lot has. of ways. It has, yeah. I don't think we've seen one planet they've um, been terribly familiar with besides Tatooine. Like, we find out the name yeah. of the other planet that he's been to. Um, oh, was it Nen? Uh, something with an N. The other planet that he's been to. <laughs> yeah, something with an N. Uh, yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The point is, um, it was just an interesting choice because this, this whole show has kind of expanded the universe so much. This kind of felt like, tightening it back up a little bit and and i just like i said i don't think there was a ton of i don't think there was a ton of payoff there like yeah yeah, as as much fan service as it was and as much tatooine as it was like that almost could have been just any planet save for like the sand people yeah and i i i mean we we did get a i think they did it the right way in episode two whenever we had jawas just on a different planet like i think that was the right way to go about this thing and of course this is all subjective i mean I'm sure there's a lot of fans that really enjoy getting to go back to the Tatooine universe and say, hey, like, what is this like after the Empire's gone? I mean, if you look at it from that point of view, yeah, the Stormtrooper heads on the poles are really awesome. I think that it's cool to go back there and kind of see, like, not post-apocalyptic, but post, you know, polarizing change in the universe. And we do have to remember, the, the Tatooine, while we are very familiar with it, and it almost feels like the center, and that's a great irony, right, is because Luke in The New Hope says... Uh, you know, if there's a center of the universe, this is as far away as you could get from it. And it's like, there's been no planet that's been more center right. to the Star Wars universe in our viewing experience than has Tatooine. Uh, but 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 it is it does bear remembering that, like, within their world, it is an outer rim planet. It's pretty lawless, even when the Empire's around. And so you can see that they... And that makes sense that he would maybe be out in that area. He's in the outer rim, obviously trying to get away from the guild and everything. Right. And um, but you can see that they threw off the yoke of imperial oppression real quick, hard, very hard, hard. and they've made it a public spectacle. Yes, having it in the streets, and you know they've been those heads have probably been sitting there for like five ish, seven ish years, however long it's been since since. Well, I mean, I'm sure it might have taken longer to, to dissolve in that far out in the galaxy, but they've been up there for a while. Yeah, no, I, I think I think they could definitely be. I think it would be one of the first places that would uh, end up revolting. I wonder now. In the original trilogy, does Jabba control Tatooine? He controls the bounty aspect, I believe. Um, I don't think he's like the the Lord of Tatooine. Because I know that like he he exerts a lot of outer rim control, and I wonder, are you looking at a double power vacuum on uh, on Tatooine now? Because you would have uh, you, you would you you would have obviously the Empire out, and then Jabba dies at the end of Jedi. So I wonder who's who's kind of running the show there now. I'm, I'm kind of getting a little bit of context on this. It looks like he's more of like the criminal underworld boss. Yeah. Um. I think he'd, you'd liken him uh, to kind of like a John Gotti. I always think, guy. you know what I always think of? I always think of Jabba because like he's so powerful. You know how they call like Mexico and Colombia maybe back in the day like narco states? Like, you know, yes, they have governments and presidents and everything, but like essentially uh, they are run by these crime lords, right? Uber powerful. I, I would, I would crime think that's, lords. that's pretty a very accurate parallel. Right? Because like the same way that they're controlling entire countries, which is kind of absurd, Jabba's controlling entire planets and right. sectors of planets. So 
in the, I mean, do the huts still control Tatooine? Maybe, maybe not. We don't get those answers. Um, and you can go back to Mata in, you know, 4,000 BBY in, in KOTOR. Mata's still running the show. So, like, the huts have. Is that Mata the Hut? Yeah, he's had a very long. The huts have a very long legacy in that, in that area. Damn. Uh, even out. hailing back, I think Nal Hutta is kind of close to there in the galaxy. I, I could totally be wrong on that, but I think Nal Hutta, where they kind of spawn from, is kind of in that. They're in the Tatooine category of worlds. Really? Okay. I never knew that. I've never thought about like the hut's actual home planet. Just a bunch of fat slugs walking <laughs> that's, around. That's Nal Hutta. <laughs> well, their <laughs> postcards are probably great. Wait, who. Um, has there ever been a. Good guy, hut. Oh man, that's a good. Do question. we know? I mean, are they just all just have oh. like a natural pro- pro- proclivity for being like <laughs> fat and crime ridden? Oh man, I I don't think I'm deep enough in the lore for that. <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I don't know. I don't think that I know of a good guy hut either. Um, but all this is to say that Tatooine feels it feels a little sparse. No, Even it does. more so than the past. I mean, the cantina was popping back in A New Hope, and it's like empty. Maybe it's time of day, but there's nobody. The streets were really buzzing there. as well in, in New Hope, and that was in the middle of the day. It's know? true, and the streets are not buzzing here. Maybe that's a sign of um, kind of how much trade has broken down. The mechanic, Amy Sedaris, is. Um, it doesn't sound like business is going very well. You know, she's obviously very kind of desperate for money, desperate to the point where. Even though she's demanding money, it's almost like a lot of times she's not actually expecting it. So, yeah, she's asked for money. I, I don't know if she thinks that um, she's even going to get it when he hands her the 500 Imperial credit. She's kind of like, hmm, is that it? But I guess desperate times. It may, may, maybe the economy's kind of broken down a bit, on, uh, a bit on Tatooine. I wanted to highlight that, especially the Imperial credits part, because the fact that the guild is like, you know... Uh, gonna shell out all these imperial credits to uh to the mandalorian and he's like no i'm not gonna take these you can't spend these anywhere yeah and then she so willingly accepts 500 of them so it's like you see like okay she's desperate yeah we're in a we're in a time and a place to where she'll take even currency that technically isn't really even worth anything anymore yeah and and uh and then also i feel like by the end of the episode maybe baby yoda kind of Works his magic on her a bit as well. Like everybody else in the world, she falls in love with Baby Yoda. Uh, we didn't get a ton of Baby Yoda this episode. Um, a little bit in the beginning, we saw his sleeping Baby Yoda, which was really cute. Uh, he did still make some new memes, though, as he kind of has his like tongue like kind of hanging out, yeah. looking around the yeah. corner. saw Mina Kimes bust that out, talking about <laughs> Joe Burrow on Saturday. It was spectacular work by Mina. Right. Um, what did you think about the mechanic character overall? Because because I liked her, I think a bit more than you did uh, when we when we watched it. So yeah, I I, I think we kind of got we had a small discussion about this when we were viewing it. Um, you kind of my, my first impression was a little bit less than than favorable, I guess, because she kind of comes off a little bit. It's a very comedic character. Yeah, she's a little over the top. Yeah, I thought just the the tone of voice and the lines were a little bit just too much for me in the moment. Um, that could also be because I was on a bus all day. It was a little bit cranky. Um, <laughs> could also play a role into my reception of this episode. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I'm, like I said in the beginning of the episode, I'm very glad that I saw it again because I, I grew to like the character a lot more, especially in the way that she treats Baby Yoda. I thought yeah. initially I was like, I was very sus with the way that she was handling the baby and like wanting to have the baby like look after him. 
um, instead of just put him back on the ship, which I guess it wouldn't be much, it would not make much sense to put him back on the ship. Wait, oh, wait, Hans, you're going to have to help out 30 year old me now. What does sus mean? Su- suspect. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, well uneasy. Oh, you learn something new every day. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was, uh, it makes sense to be a little sus though mm. around anybody dealing with baby Yoda right now. You just get that knot in your stomach. You're like, no, don't, don't go near it. No, 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 but no, no, her, no. her heart though seemed to be in a good place when she's like, Oh, did that bounty hunter leave you in that big old scary ship? Mm. Um, I do wonder when she talks about going to get food for baby Yoda, she says, get something with bones in it. Yeah, I'm like, wait, yeah. isn't that the last thing you should feed a child? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like don't we ideally? And, and I think I think Baby Yoda can handle it. I mean, we see yeah. him eat whole frogs before, right. but like, they're like, damn, come on, you don't want to give just like try something a little easier than with bones in it. Get a little little work for your meal. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I I liked her. I, I thought that she, um, I thought she was funny. I think Amy Sedaris is an actress that can kind of make a character a bit instantly likable. As you said, I don't know if the writing for her was the strongest all the time. Um, but on the whole, I, th- I think I appreciate her. Unlike the Gina Carano character, though, I don't think I would expect to see her again. No, no, probably th- th- not. This feels like a one-off. She's going to be very... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? She's not someone who would be traveling the galaxy. She's going to be very no. stationary, right? She's going to keep yeah. working there, do her thing. Uh, she must be a hell of a mechanic, though, because that Mando sh- Mando's ship was pretty messed up, and she fixed it uh, without the help of droids. In a day. How, how do we... How, why, do we, we still don't know why Mando hates droids so much, do we? I, I haven't gotten really any insight into that so far. I mean, especially because in lore, they're so tied to Basilisk war droids. Like, why Why is he so hesitant to deal with droids? I mean, I think we'll definitely find out um, whether or not it's in this season is yet to be seen. But, like, I want to agree with you, though, on the point that um, the actor of the mechanic really does pull the lines off as best as she can. Yeah. I think yeah. I think that she she's very... Uh, I, I like her... You tell her personality, the way she presents herself is very much that character she owns it yes and yes. i just don't know if she was handed the right tools i i i think i think i would probably agree with that um so the ship gets busted up in the dogfight. i'm trying to remember exactly what happens and they go to the mechanic uh and then in the cantina while searching for work we are introduced to kind of the main new character in this episode which is the uh the young bounty hunter what's his name his name is toro I thought Alice was going to say the name real quick. Yeah, so, by the way, so, uh, I just, behind the mic, take you behind the mic a bit here. We were, like, so recording from my house. Uh, we were in Atlanta all weekend. I did not see my daughter for three days. My little two-year-old daughter, and now she's sitting in my lap listening to us, uh, listening to us do this podcast. So Munching on some any, ronies. Yeah, if you hear any cooing or anything, this is my baby Yoda. <laughs> all right, you may be Yogi B. Uh, yeah, so what was it, Tico Callahan? Toro, uh, Toro Calican, Okay, wow, completely. Okay. Toro Calican. Um, and he's sitting, just like Han, mm-hmm. in the same seat. The the young swagger all there, and he tells Mando that he has a job. I think he's kind of got all the bravado of a Han without anything to back it up. He, he's definitely a lot of uh, flash and maybe not a lot of substance. Which you can kind of level with. Maybe Han was exactly like that when he started out. I can understand it. Um, though Han was more of a smuggler type. I don't know yeah. if Han would go on you know, killing missions or something. No, like and I think that Han was more accomplished than this kid at the time. Because as we learn, even though he's putting on this tough front, he is a 
complete and utter rookie. He has never done a single job for the guild, even though he's trying to act like a badass. Han had already done the the Kessel run. He'd done the Kessel run. All that stuff. He, he'd done, um, you know, he, he had, he had a profile. He had a profile to the point where he, he was successful on jobs and wasn't successful on others. Like he had had a career at that point. This kid is as green as you will find. And I was telling one of my friends that I, I didn't really like, like maybe the whole like kind of concept of core of, or of the episode, which is, you know, the old veteran kind of, uh, teaching the young dog and, He's a big pop culture fan, and he was pointing out that, like I said, while maybe wasn't executed the best, this is like an old trope in a lot of like westerns or sci or not sci-fi's westerns or samurai movies where the uh, the you know the old samurai has to help out the young one who's on a mission or decides to or same thing and like a lot of cowboy movies you see it so I, I think they went for something that felt very familiar but it ended up just feeling a bit like. And I don't even know that I can place why, because I thought the young actor looked good. I thought his acting was fine. Maybe it was the writing, but it all felt a bit like shallow or no, something I, to I, me. I, I definitely agree with you on that. It just doesn't come off as someone that you'd want to, you know, have any kind of charisma with. I think um, it. you point out the trope. I think if they are going to do a trope, they did it probably in the best way that they could have, which is they made it. Yes, it is the, the Padawan apprentice dynamic, but... They spin it to where it's kind of like, okay, he ends up in the middle of the trope where we're supposed to be getting, like, the bonding aspect. It turns into, wait, I'm going to, you know, uh, like, turn on you and I'm going to try to turn you in and all that stuff. I think it's kind of, you know, if they were going to do a trope, they did it in kind of a refreshing way. And I'm kind of happy that they, they took that approach to it. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I just, it's like I said, for for whatever reason, I just didn't. I guess I just didn't care about what happened to him either way. No, no, I didn't either. Like at all, like not even a little bit. And 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 I think for for you to really enjoy a character, you want to feel something, mm-hmm. right? Even if it's anger, you want to feel like something. Or or even if because they were kind of trying to make him into like the bumbling rookie idiot a little bit, and I just. But that mixed with the cockiness that you already wrote into him, it just doesn't play to me. Well, but it can. I think I think that can because that's you know that's kind of. Or it didn't. Maybe that's a, a lot of say. yes. It didn't, right? Because like you know, like the a lot of people who may be idiots are so dumb that they think that they're not, right? That they think yes. that they're like yeah, the exactly. best. Yeah. That they like have like irrational self confidence, kind of like this kid did. But you he can, also you, seemed to come from some sort of money, which I didn't yeah. fully understand. A world where everybody's broke. He got speeder bikes. He had a lot of cash on him. He said he didn't care about the money. He was just trying to get in the guild. Right. It was, it, it was a bit interesting. I, I don't know how to explain that. No, but I, I think you could point to the scene where they're in uh, the two speeder bikes. They've just stopped, um, and they see the do-back. Uh, Amanda's like, get down, get down. And he's like, oh, wait, what? Oh, yeah. okay. Like, that, that kind of small little tidbit kind of makes me think, like, yeah, he was trying to play it tough at first, but he's he's really like once you get him into the thick of things, he really doesn't know how to respond. Yeah, he's well. never been there before. Um, and so with it, so they have, so, so he has a job. I guess we should lay that out before they go on their journey. He has a job, and his job is to kill Finnick Shan. Now, through talking to Mando, he learns that, uh, well, Finnick Shand is no easy job and no easy kill. And he ends up uh, asking Mando to help him out because, as he admits, he's never done it before. You can kind of imagine this was a job that was given out to be like, all right, kid, go go away. 
go go and get killed on Tatooine. Ah, that's actually a really good question. How did he get the puck? I, I mean, I, I guess yeah. they don't really care. They'll hand you a puck. I mean, they probably cost a few credits to make. I mean, I'm sure it's just a little hologram. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, if they're like, okay, if you're so passionate about doing this, yeah, you come from a family with money, let's see you actually, like, you know, put rubber to the road and try yeah. to do it. And, I look, if he comes back and kills Fennec Shan by himself, that is a hell of a job because you can see another person's already failed at that. That yeah. was on the do-back, you know. And I, I think once, once you see – the way that he thinks of this job is like, okay, well, I got to go to the Dune Sea. He's like, yeah, they're in the Dune Sea. I'm going to go get them. <laughs> and uh, and, and uh, Mando's like, all right, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. Mando <laughs> knows that the Dune Sea is dangerous for a couple of reasons. First off, um, first, well, first off, that there's sand people everywhere. And secondly, Finnick Shand is an absolute beast. Uh, probably my favorite part of the episode was actually the um, the speeder bike riding through the desert. I like that a lot. So somehow he gets two speeder bikes and they take off here. Yeah, put that put that back close to your mouth. I don't think. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. peeking a little bit. You were peeking a little bit. I think yeah. that was actually me laughing. Okay, more so. Yeah, I know the cool. audio in here is not as good, but it's all good. Um, but but we, so uh, our, our young God, why do I keep forgetting his name? Tico. Uh, Toro. Toro. Think of geez. it like bull. Yeah, there we go. Okay, we're our young bull, Toro. He gets two speeder bikes, and they take off to go hunt Finnick, and the music was great, and they're cruising along the score's desert. Score's undefeated. Score's undefeated. Yeah, the score remains great. And then all I could think about was how much, uh, how much fun it would be to get to ride a speeder bike in a wide-open desert like that. I mean, just full throttle, let it go. Uh, so that was, that was actually, ironically, my favorite part of the episode was just them riding through the desert. Yeah. And I, I think that'd be an awesome experience too. I, th- I think like just that open dune sea area, just like nothing but but mm. like basically waves of sand. Like waves, yeah. Like, like just like they're jumping off them, like you jump on a jet ski. Like it, it seems so much fun. Uh, and then they they come as you said, they come across a dubai, or I guess first they come across the sand people, yes, which which bears yeah. mentioning because the times we've seen sand people, uh, they attacked Luke. Um, Anakin killed not just the men, but the women and children too. Just ran through them. Which, by the way, I'm still shocked by Padme's response to that. Like, like, yeah. like Anakin. Anakin tells her that he just slaughtered a village of <laughs> sentient beings. Like people, they're people. Yeah, they're they're, they're just people in like clothes. Like they're just wearing a lot of clothes. They're not not people. Yeah, exactly. They're. I mean, they're 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 yes, they're humanoids. Exactly. <laughs> and and he murdered not just the men as he tells you, but the women, the children. And I get it. He's very upset. Because of what happened to his mother, and that's understandable. But it is, um, it is wild how he tells Padme that, and she just like hugs him. She's like, ah, "You're good." In the context of good. prequel writing, maybe not. I mean, like, I it, guess it, it's yeah, not yeah, that yeah. surprising. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so we see Sam people again, and it was good to see their kind of their the danger they represent put to the forefront again because they could easily become kind of a joke in the star Wars universe because I mean the whole Luke attack on Luke isn't that much and Anakin rolls through him. But Mando who we know is an incredible fighter obviously has a lot of respect for them. Uh, he's obviously dealt with them in the past. He knows how to sign with them if nothing else. And he knows unlike the young kid who just thinks, you know, he's going to kill them all. Yeah. Uh, he knows that really the only way to get through the Dune Sea is to be allowed passage by the sand people. Right. And I think that's uh, 
another item from KOTOR that kind of gets a little play in here is that if you go uh, through the Dune Sea and Tatooine... Oh, um, really? Yeah, you get ambushed at random wow. by different groups of sand people. Um, and they, they it doesn't, like... Any, there's no specific rhythm or anything. You just get ambushed at a random time. So you go to Tatooine on, uh, you go to Tatooine and Kotor. You go to most Isley on Kotor. Ah. You go like to to all the all the spots, and um, it's a very. Uh, but this cool is like experience. thousands of years ago, right? How many thousands of years it's, ago? In, in uh, in Kotor, it's four thousand years. Do they have the cantina events. still? Uh, they have a cantina. Basically, the way that it it um they describe it is so cool. Basically, it's like uh. Most Eisley kind of just evolves over time. Yeah. Like the sands will come and cover it up, and then you'll go somewhere else and build something new, and it'll get abandoned. And oh, wow. Because basically, if you go, if you play through the game enough, um, you'll reach a point where you can talk to a sand people historian. And if you have HK47 with you, who's your, your uh, droid that you can buy on Tatooine, you get a complete oral history of Tatooine. Wow. Essentially, um, the, and of course, you know, this is. You know, it's a legend, so who knows if it's actually... Give it to yeah. me, though. I'm, 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 like, on the edge of my seat here. So back in the day, um, they had the... You could liken Tatooine to kind of like a uh, arboreal planet. You know, very grassy, um, okay. temperate, uh, very, like, peaceful. Um, and there was a series of events um, through which the Rakatan people, who are the, the builders of the Star Forge, essentially came... And enslave the natives of Tatooine to build the Star Forge, as they had on Manan, and as they had on all those different planets where um, they took natives and enslaved them to be slaves to the build Rikottans the Star Forge. Did yeah, the the Rakatans were uh, people who back in the day, um, like way way back in the day, built um, an infinite empire, as they described it. It was sort of a um, uh, an empire where they were a race of people who were innately force sensitive. Um, and they controlled what? essentially the entire galaxy. What? And that, that's kind of part of the, the, st- the KOTOR lore is kind of centered around the Rakatans. And so what's impact. a Star Forge? That, that, that is kind of what you spend the whole game trying to figure out. Um, and I know, I know you haven't played KOTOR mm, yet. I really don't want to deprive okay, you. Okay, okay, okay. I, okay. I really don't want to deprive agree. you of the, the absolute agree. magnificence of that game because you deserve to enjoy it. In its I will say this: I, I always, I'm. You never fail to impress me with the amount of Kotor knowledge that you do have stored in your head, <laughs> ready to be recalled. That's very impressive. I think I just, I man, I find it to be some of the best content in fiction. So they, so okay, so they enslave Tatooine to build a Star Forge, and then so that like ruins the planet's like climate or something. That basically, they yeah, they they drain all the resources okay. from Tatooine. Yeah. To, to build this part, to make it part of their infinite empire. As the Rakatans lose touch with the Force, the natives eventually rebel. Um, but Tatooine has fallen into a, such a state that, you know, it's all sand. There's, there's yeah. nothing left. Um, and and I, that is kind of like a, a very brief summation of the story. You can get about 20 minutes out so of it. So are the sand people like Tatooine natives in? Like yeah, the they, natives they had to adapt to, to survive in right. this new desert? Mm-hmm. So the damn Rakatans made the sand people who killed Shmi, who made Anakin go evil. Oh, it's all connected. It's the Rakatans, man. It all goes back to the Rakatans. The, the Rakata. Of, Is it the Rakata or the Rakatans? Either way, know. the root know. of all evil. You know, um, and, and no, honestly, like that's so true, though. <laughs> if, you, if, you get, if you get a vibe for who those people are as a people, man, they are awful. But, Interesting. And you, and you get to. They're all force sensitive that they would be that awful. 
They, Even they, like when Obi-Wan first tells us about the Force, he, he describes it as like the great unifying theory of all life. That's what makes KOTOR so compelling to me, is you find like these... Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Like I... I oh. Like these contradictions? Not, not necessarily contradictions, but just explorations of the Force and its implications. Mm-hmm. And like you... I don't want to give too much away, but you end up in a position in the game where you can discover about a divergence in the Rakatan people. And that becomes one of the most interesting Star Wars plot points of all time. Wow. I believe. Wow. All right. Man, I kind of... Okay, well, yeah, because you're right. Maybe people who are listening also haven't played KOTOR, and now their interest has peaked and they want to. So congratulations, Nick. You might have just created a a couple new KOTOR fans. Well, I am insanely indescribably jealous of you <laughs> if you have not played kotor before and are now going to have the chance to experience it it's like five dollars on steam just go for it like i i um i consider it a a privilege to have been born in an era that i could have <laughs> you could play KOTOR. Game. yeah i feel like, you like, like, that's how i feel like literally about uh being 11 years old when fellowship of the ring came out uh-huh. and all those movies it's the same way that i'm sure Kids felt being like, you know, little kids in 78 when uh, New Hope came out. Right. Um, all right. So back to the Mandalorian episode, though. We see the Sand People. They make mm-hmm. a deal. I love it. He gives away the kids brand new Binox, which is great. Uh, which is another sign that he probably has money because they're brand new. Yes. And one of the funny parts of the of the episode where he's like, hey, those are brand new. And he's like, yeah. They were. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You, you, you ready? Need, Let's go. You can tell like last week he probably went to his mom's like, hey, can I get some Binox and like a new blaster and two speeders? Although those were Imperial speeders, so they probably hijacked them. But uh, probably just went and, and dropped mom's card on, on some new bounty that's hunting like, supplies. That's the vibe they were trying to give you. Absolutely, I feel like yeah. That's the absolute vibe they were trying to give you. Which being a college student, I do that all the time, except Binox are <laughs> food. But So I level with you, bro. I get it. Like... <laughs> Getting into the guild and getting a degree, man, it's pretty much the exact same oh thing. Oh my god, you're like I'm. I'm. That makes me the Mandalorian in this. As <laughs> yeah, your, as exactly. Your, as your elder, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm at that camera angle where I'm just constantly looking at a 45 degree looking angle up. up at you all the time, um, asking you what to do. Except bounty hunting is radio. Or, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Or, or the media exactly, world, exactly. The uh, you you are right. They, they did, even though it seemed like the actors are the same height. They did get a little aggressive in. That angle. Some of the filming and making yeah. him like look up to the Mandalorian quite literally, which I thought was a great storytelling technique. You know, one of the one of the big uh, high points of the episode was their ability to tell stories through camera work. Yeah, when when uh, the Mandalorian comes back on the Dewback, this is jumping ahead a little bit. We'll we'll get back to to the Sand People, but when he's coming up on what he finds, which we'll we'll get to, um, it's at like that Battlestar Galactica like a- tilted yeah, shot angle. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's great. Which I. In, in in Battlestar Galactica, it was the entire movie was shot at that angle, so it makes you want to throw up. But like this, should I watch it, Battlestar Galactica? It's, it was an awful movie. Um, oh, okay. It was like all time awful. But because um, <laughs> you, you feel like you're on, you know, you feel like you're on a tilt the world the whole time. You're like, whoa. That has been on? that is like a classic. Like I don't know why they don't do it as much, but that is a classic technique in like older like superhero and sci fi movies. It's almost like the thought process is like, well, let's make it all seem a bit fantastical. By just putting everything a bit off kilter, right. angle wise. The old Batman movies, right. the Schumacher Batman movies, are like notorious 
I feel like for that. They do a great job though in that one scene, you know, using those techniques sparingly is an awesome, awesome yeah. strategy. And I think they do a great job. Well, it made it, it made the young guy look like, you know, the young guy looking up the older one, which which he was. So they, they get to the sand people, they get past through the dune sea. Um, and then they uh, does Mando or oh, and then they roll up on the dewback, right? Yes. And there's a dead bounty hunter on the dewback. Another one where uh, I love the uniform. Yeah. Of this bounty hunter. Uh, they weren't sure if it was Finnick. It was not Finnick. And Mando ends up getting shot a couple times. I think uh, what you pointed out, um, along with the score, the, the, the costumes in this series have been undefeated. I mean, all, well. the, all, the, all the production values, whether it's been the practical effects, the special effects even, um, like costume you could, design. You couldn't write an awful script and then put that elements in there and then I come away from being like, that was awful. Like, I'm still going to enjoy those aspects of it. Yes. And well, and to be fair, the perfect example of that is the young bounty hunter who I don't really care about as a character, but I did love his look. He definitely fits the bill. And I think, um, going back to your point about being shot, um, the best car is just OP. You're like, I don't know. twice. Yeah, no, like literally like he gets hit like shoulder, like and then he gets back, in the back running and then, away, and then literally like that third time later in the episode after they they charge her, um, I mean literally just standing up, like literally like if you could paint a worse image yeah. of someone on a battlefield, I would love to see it, like Directly in, in the, the crosshairs, just like Directly. you know looking around, like huh, I wonder what's gonna happen. Oh, sniper right in the chest, um, and he was fine. But yeah. but as he tells another funny part of the episode, great line, great line. Yeah, he tells the young guy, I got shot in the best car. And I love it because the young kid's like, wait, well, wait, what a second. I don't have Beskar. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part. It's right in line with the, yeah, they are new. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Right. Okay, what are you, like, stop, stop repeating these obvious things, uh-huh. you dumbass. We Thank know you, this. Captain Obvious. Like, obviously you will die. You don't have Beskar armor if you get shot with a sniper rifle. Give me a special on hotel rooms, Captain Obvious. <laughs> and, then, and then we made a, uh, wow, yeah, specific call out there to the, uh, is that uh, Travelocity? Yeah, Travelocity, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the references are just pouring out today. I don't know what it is. And then um, then we arrive at a Star Wars core philosophy because uh, Shinnick Finn? Finn? Finnick Shan. Finnick Shan. Jeez, I have a terrible name today. It, dude, Star Wars is like a series of like two syllable yeah. first names, one syllable last name, one, one syllable first name, two syllable That's last name. It's true. literally just like... Make an alphabet soup of like, like my, my, what I go back to is the Kotor uh, naming screen where you can just press random names and like it gives you the most Star Wars names of all you're like, time. You're like Finnick Shane. Yeah, you know, that, I, I, that, that was probably on there, honestly. That was probably ones you could have chosen. But yeah, um, she's kind of perched uh, atop. And what is she and, perched on? Uh, what would you call that? If you were, don't think, I'm not, don't think too deeply here. If I'm standing here and you're above me, what do you have? The high ground. The high ground, yes. It's over, Anakin. It's over. Star Wars. I don't care what else you've <laughs> ever done. Once a character establishes the other character has the high ground, that's a wrap. <laughs> and so, like, like rightfully so. So they are, they are far away from each other when they kind of enter this stalemate. And the young guy asks him, like, hey, well, you know, won't she just run away? And Amanda's like, no, bro. She has the high ground. <laughs> She's not going anywhere right now. And then they come up with a plan uh, to assault her at night. It's actually a pretty good plan. Ride the speeder bike, shoot some flares into the air to kind of mess with her scope. 
Um, Which I thought was, I wouldn't have thought of that. It was a good scene. It was a good action scene. I mean, the action in this episode was still really good. Yeah. Um, I, I liked all the speeder bike stuff. Of course, the young guy ends up screwing up one of the flares, allowing Mando to get shot. Uh, the, the hand-to-hand fight scene between Shand and, and uh, Tico. God, it's not Tico. Why do I keep saying that? Rose Tico is from Last Jedi. Um, what's Tor- the young guy's Tor- name? Toro Bull. Oh. <laughs> Toro and Shand have a good fight scene with Shand. Completely kicks his ass. Uh, but it's enough time for Mandalorian to get the yeah. drop on her. I, I love that little because I mean, at that point, I kind of thought it was hopeless for the dude. I'm like, Mando's about to dip. I was like, I'm gonna head out. But um, no, he uh, he definitely is like nice distraction. Like those little quips, dude. Like Mando's so good. I think Pedro Pascal's delivery is just like impeccable on those little quips and one-liners. Like he delivers them because it could, it could definitely come off cheesy yes. and like being a total Chad. But like Mando's just cool. And I think, and so they capture Shand, and then they only have one speeder bike. So Mando tells once uh, Toro to go get the do back, and we'll ride it back together. And Toro probably pretty smartly. I don't know. What do you think? So Toro says, "Wait, you want me to leave you here with the bounty and with my bike? Like, no chance, bro. You go get the 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 do back. You raise a very interesting question. What do you think? Would Mando, if he had, if if Toro had gone on the dewback, would Mando have left on the speeder bike in the bounty? That's my question because I don't know what his priorities are at that point. I don't know. As we discussed before, is he is he buying into karma? Is he buying into okay? Am I going to piss another guy off? Because you could look at it on two hands. The first hand you could look at it at is that hey, he's a guy. He's got some kind of principles. He didn't you know leave this kid behind or turn a kid in for the bounty. He's done things of some moral substance so far. No doubt, yeah. But there's this other hand that you have to look at it on, which is where this kid is trying to get into the guild. He's already murdered many guild members and had a whole tribe come and clean out a lot of guild people. And you combine that with the fact that he really needs the money to just leave. Yeah. I don't know if he ever plans on coming back. I don't know if uh, he would even count on Toro being able to track him. Maybe he would not betray Toro because he would need him to get paid by the guild to then give him the money, right? Because Mando can't turn in the bounty alone. So I guess in a way, no, that's right. If he did, if if uh, in a way he might need Toro a little bit. He couldn't go up to old boy Carl Weathers and no. uh, turn that no, lady no, in. No, not right uh, now. <laughs> oh man, I didn't even think about that. That's a great point. So, but 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 that's all. This is all hypothetical anyway, because Mando ends up agreeing. He's like, whatever, I'll go get the do back. You stay with Shand. Don't get killed. And they send the night together. But Shan starts to, I like any good, dangerous, captured person, Shan starts to talk her way out of it. I think her her kind of, her performance shines in this scene. Um, I think that her performance throughout the episode, I think it's consistent with like cold-blooded, you know, personality-less yeah. type person. Um, but you see that side of her flip to like, all right, I'm desperate. I know I'm going to die or spend the rest of my life in captivity if I don't talk myself out of this. Yeah. So she really puts on that face of being like, hey, I'm relatable, but I'm also a badass. Very hard to pull off, I think, um, unless it's written very well. And I think, although the writing doesn't shine as much in this episode as I've pointed out a couple times, I think her performance of this scene in particular really does a great job of illustrating the desperation of someone in this scenario. I agree. I I think that she... um 
I think that she did a very good job of, or not, sorry, back, back that all up. I lost my train of thought for a second. This is probably the scene where I feel like we get the most relevant information to what is kind of the main storylines of Mandalorian. She mentions the planet that Carl Weathers and them were on when all the guild members were killed. So we learned the name of that planet, which I'm blanking on right now. Um, she's the one who, you know, her, her information kind of tells you that the, the tale of the Mandalorian and this child is starting to spread. I mean, she even knows, she knows that a Mandalorian killed a lot of guild members and then went on the run. Um, and then she knows that he's even rumored to be with a child, like a child of some sort who is an even more high value target, uh, than him. So it shows that he's not really too secretive now like this is starting and we've seen other bounty hunters already track him down so the, so the information is out there she uses it to her advantage rightfully point out to Toro that look man you're trying to turn me in like the guild would love to get at him way more uh one thing she says and it's interesting considering what happens at the end of this episode she talks about knowing a mandalorian before and we know how rare those are and and at the end we see a caped individual step into the frame, and I can't help but wonder if uh, if it's maybe Boba Fett out of the Sarlacc pit. We do not have new lore confirmation that Boba Fett uh, exists yet, I don't believe. And that this or, is- or, excuse me, that Boba Fett survived the Sarlacc right. pit. It's an old extended universe. I, I, don't, uh, I don't know that there's a bigger point of excitement than what happens at the very end. I think, yeah. I think, uh, I think what, what happens next could be very, very promising for, for episode, uh, six and beyond. But for what we see in that scene, it raises the question, uh, to me, which is this, which is how, uh, how does she know that the Mando is that Mandalorian? You know, like I, I bet that's kind of like a big, I just imagine to me that'd be a big mental gap for me to get over if I was, you know, in a position where I could either turn this woman in and get my goal and and be done with it. Yeah. Or what if I kill the person who's supposed to get me in the guild, turn in someone who has no value to the guild, yeah. and then other things. Because the guild obviously associated with Mandalorians if they let them in. Mandalorians in themselves may or may not have any intrinsic value. I think I, th- I think it just goes back to, and they try to explain this away. Now, whether it's a strong explanation, that's up to you, the viewer. But I think they just try to say that there's they're so rare, Mandalorians are, that she just believes that it's the one. And and really, even if you remember, if you think back to the Mandalorian clan, they talk about like only one guy. You know, they kind of almost I don't know if they rotate, but like they're not they're not together in public very often. So. She just is, must be banking on the legend. Maybe she's heard of the Beskar. It's not the strongest explanation, but it's there. But but for whatever reason, uh, Toro, he you know his eyes start to get a bit wide as when she tells him you know you could be a legend if you were to do this. Forget about money, and he's not motivated by money for whatever that's worth. He wants notoriety, so that really appeals to him. Uh, it looks as if he's going to take off her handcuffs. He makes these smart decision to well, maybe not smart decision. If he takes off her handcuffs, she would have killed him and leave. Yeah, and I mean, there's no a no thousand doubt. percent speeder bikes right there, and he knows that, and he said that as much as she likes to say, "Oh, don't worry about taking him down. I'll help you." Yeah, that's that's BS. Yeah, that's BS. Um, so so if if 
if it was between taking off the shackles or not, he ends up killing her. He made the right choice there. You see how ruthless he can be too. A guy who's really been comedic relief up to this point. Uh, yeah, but, very but, like, very like, whoa. Yeah, whoa. like out of like, like no, and didn't didn't flinch. I certainly did not see that coming at any no. point. But but it also but it is kind of dumb though. Like in this, it's smart in that if he had let her go, he would have gotten killed. But why not like go back with Mandalorian, turn her in, get paid. Then turn the Mandalorian. Like, there's so many other ways that he maybe could have handled the situation. The only way I could have spun that is that he would need her to get him. But if he uses but her, her but to get him, she's just going to kill him and leave. Like, I, I it, he, she doesn't want anything to do with Mandalorian. Yeah. He wants something to do with both of them. And I think you're at an impasse if you're the guy. Like, there's no good options. I guess I just maybe would have turned turned her in. And then while turning her in, try to set up Mando in some way. Because you're going to have to go back to Mando to give him the money after you turn her in. So it was an odd choice because you did all this work to get Chan and then you just killed her. And she's suddenly worth nothing. Nothing to the point where he leaves the body there. Like takes nothing. Doesn't even bring the body back. Maybe took like whatever she had on her. That might have been what Mando loots off of his dead body. Yes. Which is probably that. that uh, Because if he had that money with him, I'd. Well, who knows? Either way, um, they either way he kills her and takes off and goes to lay a trap for the Mandalorian, who is probably pissed when he rides his do back all the way back there, only to find a dead body, no, uh, no Toro, and then he has to ride the do back all the way back to the mechanic shop, where sure enough, there's the speeder bike outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get a showdown, a classic showdown. Uh, Toro has the mechanic. And Baby Yoda at gunpoint gets Mando to drop the weapon. Did you notice, though? And it shows just how ineffective of a fighter Toro is. He technically has the high ground. Yeah. He's standing on a ramp while Mando's on the ground. Now, they never say it. And so a lot of times in Star Wars, you have to say, I have the high ground. (laughs) In order for the powers (laughs) to take effect. In order for them. So maybe that's his rookie mistake is not mentioning the fact that he was literally higher up than Mando. Uh, <laughs> but he gets Mando to drop the gun, and Mando pulls a little, like, Bruce Willis, die hard, hands behind the head, oh, way to have a flashbang in my hand. I mean, very kind of cliched, but still all right stuff. You could almost hear uh, Toro pulling a syndrome and being like, you caught me monologuing. <laughs> yeah, for real, I feel though, like he yes. actually did catch him monologuing. He did, dude. And then, because, uh, yeah, he's talking about how he wants to be a legend and all that. Be, be some epic last words. A little, little Disney uh, reference. And then, uh, and then flashbang, Mando dodges a shot, bam, bam. Uh, Toro's dead. Good old Mando, not afraid to take the shot with Baby Yoda in the arms. You don't see that enough, I don't think. You don't see like enough like, all right, I'm in a position to kill you and I need to kill you to advance my goals. And then stuff ends up happening where either one of them gets away or something happens. And then we, we don't like, you don't actually kill the person and move on. Like, you know? So, uh, so he kills him and then that's kind of the episode. And then you get the, the, the scene with the mysterious stranger stepping into the mm-hmm. frame at the very end. Is he a Chan's body at the very end? We just watched it. I'm already blanking. Yes. It's, um, and so I don't know, man, like, I guess to, to wrap up my thoughts on the episode, I enjoyed it more the second time. I still didn't know if I thought there was like, it, it was my least favorite. It was my least favorite. Oh, yeah, we, I'm, we, I'm, we, we I'm in agreement the least, there. And, but, but I even found the side adventure to be the least amount of fun compared to like, 
the assault on the Java sand crawler and the battle with the Mudhorn or the battle with the ATST. This felt very smaller in scope, which isn't inherently negative, but in this case, it, it was just a little boring. Yeah, I mean, and you look at uh, the the episode as a whole, and I, I have to agree with you on on the. I liked it more the second time, but also ends up not being my favorite. Um, I think the the thing that brings it down the most is parts of the writing. I wouldn't say the writing inherently is bad. I would just say that it could have suited the characters a lot better or, yeah. or maybe just been delivered in a slightly different way. But I think the actors in the episode, upon like letting it marinate in my head, really pulled it off as best as they could. I just don't know if it was didn't set them up for success as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, I think these opinions are pretty shared by most people out there and, and whether or not, I mean, if, you, if they're not, we'd love to hear from you. Hit us on Twitter at four Mandalore pod. You can email us for Mandalore podcast, gmail.com. Um, I still, I, I'm expecting big things in episode six. Like I said, the end sets up for a nice reveal. And we like I said, we learned some tidbits. Obviously we knew this, but He's still like the most hunted man or he's going to continue to be super hunted by all sectors right. of the galaxy. People are going to keep coming after him. Um, and we'll see who this latest challenger is. I would love for it to be. I know this is maybe fan service here kind of goes against the small universe stuff that I was kind of decrying earlier, but it would just be really cool if you had Boba Fett versus the Mandalorian. Oh man. Like the fake, the, the imposter versus, yeah, yeah. Oh man. That yeah, and, and, and to be clear, you're calling Fett the imposter. Well, yeah, he's, he's, he's not a Mandalorian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But he's got that armor. Uh, so let us know what you thought. Um, anything else to add on, on this one, Nick? I guess uh, just to say thank you to all our listeners. Um, thank you so much for, for sticking with us and uh, trudging on through this Mandalorian season. I know I've enjoyed every step of the way. Um, I hope you all have too. Um, like T-Bob said, you can hit us up on Twitter at 4MandalorePod, 4 Mandalore. Pod, uh, uh, is it for Mandalore Podcast at gmail.com? I think so. Yeah, for Mandalore Podcast at gmail.com. Um, for Mandalore Podcast on Facebook. Um, thank you so much for joining us again. Um, I'm Nick Ashton. He's T Bob Avier. For Mandalore. We'll see you later.